Hello, podcast listeners. I'm your host, Richard Lee, and welcome to the Ranger Outpost, where I'm going to take you to our friendly outpost where we go deep into people's unique lives that inspire me. Today, we'll be interviewing Edgar Lim. We will dive into his journey that starts with working in sales at a solar energy company, moving across the country and the world, and exploring a plant-based diet. You know, being employee number six, obviously, you know, I was, I had to wear a lot of hats. Um, you know, I was doing things that a typical engineer wouldn't do. Edgar Lim is the Vice President of Technology and Procurement at Ender Solar and manages all procurement efforts for the organization and nurtures key vendor partnerships. Edgar started in the industry by working with a startup residential solar company in Los Angeles, where he learned the art of solar design and engineering. He eventually went on to lead their engineering department and played a role in quadrupling their installs per month within a year. Edgar then went on to be a part of a large-scale solar development firm based in New Jersey, where he worked on a multi-megawatt solar project and gained tremendous experience in all aspects of solar design and engineering. Thank you, Edgar, for coming on the show. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm originally from Malaysia. Um, I, I was a transfer student uh, from Malaysia. I did two years of college there um, and then transferred over in 2006 to Georgia Tech uh, to complete my bachelor's in mechanical engineering. Um, so I graduated you know, at the best timing possible, which was in 2008, you know, right smack <laughs> in the middle of the last recession. Um, so needless to say, you know, job hunting wasn't, wasn't uh, a smooth process after graduation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I initially went into uh, uh, mechanical engineering because um, you know, I was very interested in automotive engineering. Um, but there weren't that many colleges that, that offered it. And so that's why I chose mechanical. But when I was in college, you know, definitely got exposed to, um, uh, you know, renewables, uh, renewable energy, uh, sustainability, um, and all the different uh, things that we could do to kind of, you know, mitigate some of the risks of, of climate change. Uh, so, you know, renewable energy has always been close to my heart as well. Um, but you know, when I graduated, I was, I actually had, um, two job offers. Um, none of them were in solar, (laughs) none of them were in solar, but, uh, I think thankfully, right. There's always a silver lining uh, with everything. Thankfully, those two opportunities fell through. So I basically graduated without a job. Um, and that's when I asked myself, you know, what are some of the companies that I, I like to uh, apply for and industry that I like to work in, uh, and you know, renewable energy was was top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, coincidentally, uh, I had an uncle in Los Angeles who knew someone who started a solar company uh, not too long ago, and that was mm-hmm. in 2008. And he asked if I wanted to get an interview, and it was for a, a residential solar development. You know, they were basically building solar systems for houses. Mm-hmm. And that's when like all solar panels are getting really popular again. Yeah, exactly. There were some incentives uh, that were put in place federally and state mm-hmm. or state level as well. Uh, so we're definitely on the upward up, upward trend. And uh, yeah, I said, why not? So literally, I, you know, within a span of a week, I packed all of my, you know, life's belongings into my... Mm-hmm. Dodge Neon at that time, <laughs> and I do, and that's how that's you know all the material things that I own, uh, it could all fit in a Dodge Neon, 
So you can only, you know, not, not too many basically. And I moved um, and I drove all the way from Atlanta to Los Angeles. Oh, you did the full drive there? Did the full drive by myself. Um, by yourself? <laughs> it was fun. It was a fun experience. Uh, it was a journey of self-discovery, I say. <laughs> uh, people. Um, but I, you know, I had a couple of stops along the way. Texas mm -hmm. and Alabama. I had some friends that went there from Georgia Tech. You know, we kind of mm -hmm. relocated. Um, so it was you know, a cool drive. But long story short, got to Los Angeles. Um, you know, went for the interview and was offered a position on the spot. Right. Was it was it a classic movie scene where they're like, you're hired on the spot or like, hey, we'll email you. It was, it was on the spot there. It was on the spot. At the end of the interview, they basically ask, you know, when can you start? Um, that is such a classic movie scene that I'm is. like kind of engrossed by it right now. Totally, totally. It's, it's, it's made for Hollywood for sure. Um, and yeah. I said tomorrow. I could I could be here at 9 a.m. tomorrow if you need me to, and uh, and that was how my career in solar started. But now they actually didn't have a position in solar engineering, which oh. I really wasn't qualified for mm -hmm. to begin with because I you know I didn't take any classes in solar at Georgia mm -hmm. Tech, but I could learn. But I could learn. Um, but regardless, the position they had was for sales per for sales. So uh, I was actually doing solar sales for a good couple of months when I started uh, cold uh, calling well, and mm -hmm. doing business, I you know, solar presentations, trying to sell solar to, to homeowners. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a very fun experience. And then not long after the, uh, the only engineer that was there, that was working there, went back to China uh, to visit his family and decided to, to not come back. Uh, so, I mean, the story just gets crazier and you just, you can't plan any of these, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the CEO asked if I could, you know, kind of learn, you know, virtually from this guy who's in China and, mm -hmm. and I, you know, try to pick up as much as I could. And, and honestly, solar engineering is not um, super complicated. Right? If you have mm -hmm. a couple of courses in electrical engineering, you're, you're good to go. And I did mm -hmm. some electrical courses at Tech. Um, and then, you know, went on and took more courses. Um, and you know, not before long, I was, um, you know, the heading, heading up the engineering efforts at that company. So Really? This seems like you got slingshotted, like experience-wise, uh, position-wise. Definitely. Due to, due to timing, too. Like, I think that helped a lot. Yeah, everything is about timing. So that was definitely opportune. Uh, but also, you know, I was thrown off of deep end. I was definitely thrown off deep end, and uh, mm -hmm. and you know, you had to either sink or swim, and you know, I think I, I kind of floated. Mm -hmm. That is so awesome to hear. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of your uh, a lot of your uh, patterns kind of could be mapped back to your college days. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, back in in college, um, you know, it was definitely it, it, it was somewhat challenging initially, um, you know, because I did two years of, of uh, courses in Malaysia mm -hmm. and, you know, it was an American degree transfer program. And, you know, the format of learning was, was very, you know, American based, uh, but obviously it was, you know, surrounded by Malaysians um, and, and the culture is very much different. And my exposure to the U.S. was, you know, Hollywood and Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, so when I, 
first step foot on, on at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, uh, which has a you know somewhat of Southern influence, mm-hmm. was somewhat of a culture shock for me, and I, I just still remember I, I hardly could understand what some of my classmates were saying. <laughs> it wasn't just an American accent, but it was an American Southern accent. Mm. So that took me a while right, to to kind of overcome that and, and kind of acclimatize myself uh, with, with the culture. But I, I did that. And the one thing that I told myself when I you know, transferred over to tech was not to just hang out with the folks that I was comfortable with, right? mm. which were, you know, basically a lot of my friends that transferred to Georgia Tech with me from Malaysia. Oh, so there was a cohort. Yeah, yeah, there was. Not many of us, but there were a few because I think to transfer into tech from an international uh, college for mechanical engineering, uh, the minimum GPA was 3.95. So near perfect, pretty much. (laughs) So there weren't too many, needless to say, that came Mm -hmm. with me. Um, But there were a few other Malaysians that were already at Georgia Tech as well. Well, I didn't know back in Malaysia. And, you know, we, we were, I was friends with them and it was great hanging out with them, but I also wanted to be sure and to be very conscious that um, with the fact that, you know, I, I had to go out and, you know, push myself out of my comfort, mm-hmm. right? To try to mm-hmm. make new friends um, and get involved with extracurricular activities, um, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why I applied to be part of uh, the community service, a service frat, you know, Alpha Phi mm-hmm. Omega. So that was a very fun experience, learned a lot, and I got to meet a lot of people from all parts of America and international as well. And I think that was a very enriching experience. And I was also the pledge class president. And I think that was, you know, one of the thing, one of my first few experiences of, of leadership uh, in the United States since I moved mm. um, So you said, I think pre- previously before this, you said there's a great story about how you decided to run for pledge class president. Yeah, it was actually a, um, yeah, it was quite random, actually. I mean, it was, well, I had, I was actually a student council president in Malaysia. At, oh, at the college. <laughs> just transfer right over. <laughs> I know, yeah, in a way, in a way. So I'm, I'm good at delegating, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm just tongue in cheek. But uh, I, I love you know, making a difference. I love, um, you know, being in a position of, of influence. And so I think some of the other uh, pledges uh, saw that potential and knew that about me and basically nudged me to, you know, apply to be president for that pledge class. And so, yeah, it worked out. You know, I was nominated and, um, and yeah, the rest was history. Yeah. Oh, wow. Do you, do you have like a classic uh, like tech story? Like I, I'm sure there's there's a couple that you could think of. Classic tech story, huh? I mean, I remember a lot of you know late nights, a lot of <laughs> all nighters. I mean, every time I think of tech, that's all I think about. All nighters going to well, Jimmy John's or I know the Papa John's at Georgia Tech was like at one point the best selling Papa John's in the country. Oh yeah, actually, Shaq recently bought that. Papa John's. No way. So you can see him sometimes if you go visit. It's it's kind of quite hilarious. <laughs> Where does he live in Atlanta? Oh. Yeah, he has a home in Atlanta. So he film, he films a lot here. Ah, wow, that's crazy. Okay, that's yeah. He's a cool guy, uh, funny guy oh. too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but uh, I think you know there are a few 
stories that come to mind, but I don't know if this is a good platform. <laughs> <laughs> the the most uh, PG thirteen ish one, I would say. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, in the PG thirteen realm, I mean, one of my favorite stories is really, and I'm not Christian; I'm Buddhist myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually went for Buddhism classes for three years back in Malaysia. Oh wow! So I mean, I was pretty serious about it, um, and I and I try to lead that life as much as possible. But I was part of uh, a campus Christian fellowship, and really, yeah, because I had a buddy who was a, you know was Christian, and and I'm I'm open, you know, I learn from uh-huh. everyone, and and um, uh, it's always something, you know, I feel that there's always something you can learn, right? Yeah, other people, other communities, other religions. So you know, I was part of CCF, and um, you know they, they actually organized a trip to um, Louisiana, or New Orleans, yeah, New Orleans, uh, not too long after Hurricane Katrina. Oh wow! So we did some um, some rebuilding, some cleaning up, some rebuilding of houses, um, and I think that was that was a very fun, very uh, fulfilling experience. Uh, while I was at tech um, and you know we were actually sleeping in a, a stadium uh, or, a, or a basketball arena so we all had really bunk beds in a hallway and, and it wasn't very you know comfortable but it was uh, it was definitely memorable mm-hmm. uh, and I'm glad I'm glad we did you know I did that and yeah I highly encourage you know anyone and everyone who's uh, you know, to get involved with this, the community and to and you know, I'll be active from an extracurricular mm-hmm. standpoint. Yeah. That is so cool. It seems like I'm seeing bits and pieces of your life that are like culminating to what you are now. So it's 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 great to see the origin story of Edgar. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so it seems like uh that you you cr- cross country graduated, you put everything in the car, the classic story of like everything I own mm-hmm. could fit in this car, drive across the Drive, drive across the country, start this job, get the offer that same day, start the next day. And now it's like fresh out of college, wide eyed and to what it is now. Can you describe that journey from like doing sales in that call center to now VP of that division? Yeah. Um, so like I said, you know, well, sales was, was fun. You know, I've always been a people person. I enjoy being around mm-hmm. people and um, and, and so, you know, doing presentations, connecting with people, building relationships, um, you know, those are all very key for me, uh, as far as my career goes. So, you know, being in sales was, I think a very good way to start because, mm-hmm. you know, that allowed me to see, feel, experience what the people on the front lines are experiencing, right, When it comes to solar, um, and I think that basically helped, um, you know, help me be a better engineer as well. Because now when I'm designing, I'm also able to communicate those designs to the salespeople who are then mm-hmm. communicating it to the clients ultimately mm-hmm. uh, or the prospects. Uh, so I think that was a very, um, you know, good experience. Um, that I didn't shy away from. But, you know, from that point on, you know, I was leading up the engineering team at uh, SolarMax, which was, a, they were in City of Industry, California at the time. I think they're in Riverside now. But mm-hmm. 
not for about a year after I got picked up by another solar company in New Jersey. So I so another cross country drive. <laughs> uh, this time I decided to fly uh, for a change, and、uh, the <laughs> company paid to ship my ship my junk of a car across <laughs> across the country. I think they. The amount of dollars they paid to ship the car was more than the car was worth. <laughs> was this the same car you drove across? So they're like, "Oh man, this can't, this can't make it to the other side again." No, you have to ship it, and, and they were paying. They were going to pay for、mm-hmm. relocation, so good for them.、Um, and、uh, yeah, so cross country in New Jersey, and you know, I was then、um, you know basically being a, I was an engineer. I was a systems engineer for Sundiaman, so I was working under someone a lot more senior than me. Had a great opportunity to learn in depth about、um, you know solar engineering at a large、mm-hmm. scale, right?、So、we were building carport systems, right? That's where you have parking lots with solar on top of it. We were、mm-hmm. building ground mounts, like five to ten acre solar farms. Uh, we were putting solar on large rooftops and warehouses,、um, so that was a great learning experience. I was there for about two years, two and a half years, and then I got picked up by Enersolar, which is where I am now.、Uh, and I've been at Enersolar for about eight and a half years now. Oh wow!、Um, when I I was actually the very first engineer that Enersolar started. I mean, hired. Back in oh, with, with your reputable experience, I think you would have been an easy find. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And then actually,、um, and that's the beauty of LinkedIn. I was actually recruited by you know both the company in New Jersey and Enersolar, which is based in New York, through LinkedIn. Oh wow!、So、the president of Enersolar actually messaged me on LinkedIn one day and asked if I'd be interested in heading their engineering department. And by that time, I already had two years of solar at Sundarans and one year of solar experience in California.、Mm-hmm. I was a, a veteran or relatively senior、mm-hmm. engineer by then, because you know the solar industry、uh, was you know kind of going through a second phase of growth at that time,、mm-hmm. um, and there weren't that many engineers out there with a lot of solar experience. So、mm-hmm. you know, three years was plenty,、um, and that's when I yeah decided to move on to enter solar as Technical director,、um, first engineer they hired. I was employee number six, and they're up to about ninety employees today.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've so, grown quite a bit. So how does it feel to be, say, employee number six? I feel like a lot of people don't know that feeling.、Uh, so how was that experience like? It's.、Um, I think it's it's a great opportunity, you know, for anyone who's. Was skittish about joining a startup, you know. Obviously, with a startup, there's less certainty because you don't know if things are going to work out or not.、Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to have, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit in you, right? And to really let it,、um, to, to let it show, so to speak. And you know, being employee number six, obviously, you know, I was, I had to wear a lot of hats.、Um, you know, I was doing things that a typical engineer wouldn't do. Right, I, I, and I like to use the analogy of you're either a small fish, big pond, or a big fish in a small small pond.、Mm-hmm. And so, from when I was at Intersolar initially, I was you know a big fish in a small pond. I was the only engineer, and so they gave me a lot of opportunities to try and gain experience, 
um, and gain skill sets in, mm -hmm. in different functions that I wouldn't be able to get experience in um, or dabble in if I was part of a much larger firm, right? Because if I was a part of a larger firm, I'd probably be, you know, limited to certain types of responsibilities. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas here, uh, I was given carte blanche and, you know, like a blank slate to build the engineering team and come out with different design guidance and best practices the way I think, you know, systems mm -hmm. design and engineer. Um, so I think it was a, yeah, great experience. Um, definitely oh, wow. long hours late. <laughs> Uh, but it was, I think Georgia Tech prepared me for that. <laughs> so I think the moral of the story is late nights in college will prepare you for late nights 10 years later. Definitely. Uh, Georgia Tech was a great, uh, yeah. So it seems like you, you played both roles on the sales as well as the hardcore engineering. What is something about sales that a lot of people get wrong? Like, I think there's like a media depiction of like sales or like the classic LinkedIn, like sales offer that you see in the messages. Yeah. So what is something that you could clear up some light on? Yeah, for sure. And then even when I was at Georgia Tech, you know, I was, I was going on a lot of sales trips and sales meetings with, um, you know, our CEO, Peyton. And, um, you know, it gave me a great opportunity to learn how to develop projects and communicate effectively as to what our, our value was. Mm -hmm. uh, and it allowed me to pick up a lot of new, you know, skills through observation, right? And I think 90% of learning is observation, through observation. Right? So mm -hmm. being in close proximity and, um, you know, going on those, on those meetings, um, was was very uh, a great learning experience, but yeah, I think the one thing about sales that you know I think a lot of people kind of have a misconception about is you know you have to be a hardcore salesperson and you got to close the deal. You know, <laughs> if you think of like a a car sales, and not all car salesmen are like this, but a lot mm -hmm. of them are. I think in my experience, you know, they're trying to close the deal. They're trying to sell you that car so that they can make money and mm -hmm. it might not be the best product for you as a customer at that point in time that is not exactly not the way how sales should be done you know really mm -hmm. sales at the end of the day comes down to relationships it comes down to building rapport it comes down to communicating your value and you know once you've communicated your value and what you can bring to the table and how you can improve things for your your customer. And if they see that value, I think they people don't want to be sold. People want to buy, right? Mm. And I think that's important to understand. So I think once you've communicated that value to the other person, to the prospect, if it's a right fit, there's no reason why. Uh, right fit in the right time, there's no reason why they shouldn't, you know, they wouldn't go for it. That that is that is really enlightening because I think salespeople get a really bad rap. Yeah. Yeah, poor timing, bad product. It's, it may not be their choice on that end. But yeah, I think how you carry yourself and your attitude towards a customer, and not looking at them as dollar bills, but rather yeah. as a human being, right? On mm -hmm. the other side, and at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. Mm -hmm. It seems so fundamental, but like so overlooked. I think a lot. Some of it has to do with the culture and the team mm -hmm. as well, and how your superiors are acting. And I think mm -hmm. I've been fortunate enough to be in, in the presence of 
uh, and to be associated with people that really understand what sales is about. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned that like as a, as an engineer, you picked electrical engineering pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. What are some things about like solar energy that, that you would like to share a little bit more on or like fix the public opinion on? Yeah. So I think overall, I think that the winds are kind of going in the direction of solar, mm -hmm. so to speak, you know, pun not intended, but <laughs> overall, you know, because of all the discussions and awareness created around climate change right now, I think renewable energy, specifically solar and wind uh, and storage, battery storage systems are trending right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, they, they see the, the value and the, the future in renewable energy. Um, so I don't think there's a lot of convincing that I have to do right, mm -hmm. to let people know that solar is a good field to get into or the renewable energy space is a good field to get into. But I've, I've written a couple of articles about it um, and happy to share that with the audience later too. But the cost of solar systems have come down so much over the last mm. couple of years uh, to the point where in a few short years, solar solar will be able to stand on its own two feet without really? without incentives, right? Well, that, that's a game changer. Now they're competitive by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, and don't forget, I mean, the oil and gas industry, they are, they're getting billions of dollars of subsidies as mm -hmm. it is. So and to say that the only reason why solar is around is because of subsidies and government incentives, well, it is true, but if oil and gas weren't subsidized, mm -hmm. uh, they'd have a tough time as well competing with solar. Right. Definitely. So I think the costs have come down tremendously. And in one of my articles, I talk about Moore's Law you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to development of integrated circuits. And we're seeing a very similar effect in solar. Right. Two years ago, let's say three years ago, commercial solar panel would probably be about 280, maybe 300 watts, right? In terms of oh, wow. the amount of power a solar panel can put out. Mm -hmm. So for the audience sake, what does that look like? Like say 240 watts, what, what, what's the best way to represent that? Oh, okay. Yeah, everything of a light bulb, you know, mm -hmm. light bulb is 60 watts. Right? Okay. So, well, not with the LED ones you have today, and it's five watt maybe. It's what an yeah. LED light bulb uh, is requiring to power up. 280 or 300 watt solar panel at full power, it could power a lot of light, a lot of LED light bulbs. Right? Mm -hmm. Man, they're talking about 60 light bulbs. Oh, wow. So like a full house, a full warehouse could be lit by pretty much that one panel. Yeah, like a, a full house could be, yeah, easily with all the power coming from one solar panel. But that's assuming the sun is shining bright and full power, yeah. which... Mm, you have the storage, you have the necessary... It's, yeah, it's going you have storage in. and definitely produce enough, yeah, to, to support the lighting, all the lighting in one, your house with one module. But so today, one solar panel can go up to 500 watts. It just doubled, oh. almost doubled, almost doubled. Yes. Uh, and it's cheaper than the 300 watt module, believe it or not. Is it cheaper because the technology got more simplified or it just got more accessible? Economies of scale. And uh, I think, yeah, the manufacturers are just getting a lot more efficient with how they're manufacturing their products. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those effects are, are you know, surfacing.
Yeah. So so the techniques haven't changed drastically. Like the science behind it has not changed. It's just gotten more efficient in that direction. The cells themselves has gotten more efficient. But, um, you know, a solar panel is made up of 15, 20 different components. So, and there's all kinds of different technology when it comes to solar panels as well. I mean, if you go out to the market to buy a solar panel today, I mean, you'll have hundreds of options, right? Hundreds of options. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of part of my job at Andrew Solar is trying to sift through all the, those options mm -hmm. and figure out which are the ones that are going to make sense for what we do yeah. in our system. But you have uh, monocrystalline panels, polysilicon, uh, polycrystalline solar panels. You have mm -hmm. um, half-cut cell. Uh, I know I can get to all the technical details, yeah. but I think it will just go over the head for a lot of folks. <laughs> They're like tuning in like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a long lecture. But no, it's, it's yeah, I think it's astounding all the different, all the varieties of, of technology that are getting built into solar panels these days. Mm -hmm. It's a very fast paced industry when it comes to new products, new technologies. Uh, there's still a lot of potential um, that can be realized. And I think we're, we're, we're hardly getting started. Yeah, and I've only, I've been in for ten years, and I'm excited for mm -hmm. the next ten. Pretty much doubling at a, at a rate, pretty much exponentially, as you're like just moving up that chain yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we're you know looking at new materials now, new type mm -hmm. of raw materials like perovskite to layer onto solar cells, and mm -hmm. that could increase uh, efficiency and reduce costs. So it's oh, overnight. I think that's I think that's the crazy thing. It's not like a massive overhaul. It's like oh, it's just we put that coating on, overnight, massive increase. Yep, yep. So there's a lot of R and D going on right now within the salt mm -hmm. space. Uh, a lot of discussions about peroxide. Mm -hmm. uh, we're probably a few years away from commercialization, right? Because it takes mm -hmm. a while to go from a lab to yeah mass production. Yeah. Hopefully, it comes sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. that's that's awesome to hear um i'm assuming you have this conversation a lot of the topic of climate change and how do you talk about climate change to like the average person and regardless if they believe it or not or i would say that first of all they should take politics out of climate change right mm -hmm. and you know it's it's very fact-based right of, of what the effects are and mm -hmm what a lot of scientists are observing um, as far as global temperatures and uh, weather patterns. Um, you know, it's not something that um, that's like, you know, half of the scientists agree on, the other half does not. I mean, there's consensus across the board globally as to what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. So I think for those that aren't too familiar with climate change, and with with Netflix and the internet and Google today, I mean, there's tons of resources that you could read, um, you know, out there to get educated about what climate change uh, is and what it, its effects are, mm -hmm. and what are the repercussions, repercussions and the consequences for us uh, for inaction, right? If we just continue mm -hmm. on the path that we're on right now. Uh, you know, that was spelled disaster for a lot of, um, uh, for the future generation, right? We're going to have rising sea levels. We're going to have 
uh, hotter summers, colder winters, nastier storms and you know tornadoes and hurricanes. Um, so I think it's something that I think everyone as a citizen of planet Earth should be educated about. Right? Um, and there's actually a very good book. Uh, I, I wouldn't know if it's good or not, but there's a very, it's a highly anticipated book that Bill Gates uh, just wrote about climate change. Uh, and I'm actually very excited uh, you know, to get my hands on it. And it's actually called, I'm looking at the title right now, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. So it's not out yet. It's available for pre-order. So I'm looking to get my hands on it. Um, and there are so many good you know, Netflix documentaries climate change, you know, David Attenborough uh, just came out with one. Um, it's called the, what was the title? It was like the amazing earth or something like that. I think a life, a life on our planet, a life on our planet, a life on our planet. And it's on Netflix. Uh, and he talks about, you know, the, he it talks about his career um, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, you know, preservation of, uh, nature and then his ex explorations uh, mm -hmm. globally uh, and what are some of his observations um, you know as far as our impact on on nature mm -hmm. uh, just throughout his lifetime you know yeah. about 70 80 years not more than a, not centuries we're talking about decades um, and within such a short time frame you know the the impact that we've had on nature is mind-blowing you know a negative in a negative manner mm -hmm. um i think that's a very that's that's a good documentary to check out for those who haven't had a chance to look into it yet so definitely yeah, yeah. that yes please check out a life on our planet is that is that what it is on our planet yeah a life on our planet by david attenborough yeah. and for those who don't know david i mean he's a guy who's on all these the deep British voice behind all, <laughs> all animal planet and like ocean, oceans and worlds. I think the moment he's on screen, your IQ jumps 20 points. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way I see it. Um, you actually listed a movie that you really enjoyed. Uh, what's that movie's name again? Our planet. Yeah, it's Live Planet. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and there's tons of others as well mm -hmm. um i've actually been you know plant-based for about five six years now uh as far as oh. my, my diet goes and a lot of my uh decision making was influenced by you know getting educated about mm -hmm. uh, what i personally as an individual can do to kind of slow mm -hmm. that slow that process down and there's not a lot that i can do by myself but i think collectively um there's a lot that we can achieve mm -hmm. uh, together. So, so I, I feel I feel like a lot of people have this this question quite often. Is uh, switching over to uh, mostly is it vegan or vegetarian? Mm -hmm. uh, what what makes that process easier, or is it or is it just like a bite a bullet you have to bite? Yeah, no, I don't think. So I think one of the from what I've heard from people who've tried going vegetarian mm -hmm. or vegan is, you know, they try to, they go cold turkey, right? Like overnight, mm -hmm. you go from having a piece of steak to eating nothing but fruits and vegetables 
all day, every day. And mm-hmm. I think you're almost shocking your system. You're shocking yeah. your, your, your psyche. Um, and I think that's just not how human nature works, right? Things are gradual, right? I mean, when mm-hmm. you're talking about weight gain, it's gradual. You don't go out yeah. from, you know, 180 pounds to 300 pounds in one week. I mean, it yeah. takes a while, right? And and that's a, that's how I think we have to approach it as well. And the other on the flip side, you know, the way I did it is I started with meatless Mondays. So I would just oh. not eat meat every Monday for a whole month. And then I went on to no meat before dinner, right? And so I was limiting to one meal per day with meat. And then um, no meat at all and only seafood, right? Oh, wow. And so there, this was a clear phased approach to it. Definitely. Yeah, it was throughout a span of three or four months before I got oh, wow. all the way to, to being a vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as of right now, I'm plant-based. So I still do some dairy here and there. I still eat, have some mm-hmm. cheese here and there. Um, but no red meat, no white meat. I do some mm-hmm. seafood. And I think that a lot of that of me kind of, you know, sliding back in that direction has to do mm-hmm. with, you know, going out and with friends and family, right? And, and yeah. them having to accommodate me all the time. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's not easy for them. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more like me trying to be more accommodating uh, with mm-hmm. socially. Is, is the Malaysian diet vegetarian friendly or is it the opposite? Like, I know in Korean, it's like, it's really hard to be vegetarian because everything has some level of fish sauce or yeah. meat boiled into it. Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it vegetarian friendly. Well, it depends if you're talking about Malay food or Indian, because Malaysia is made up of three big cultures. You got the Indian, yeah. Malay, and the Chinese culture. So I think you, oh, wow. if you're talking about Chinese food, the Asian Chinese food in Malaysia, there's a lot of vegetarian options. There is, um, but not so much for uh, Indian. There is too because you have a lot of people in India who are vegetarians. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is there is a good amount. Yeah, there is a good amount. Oh, that's 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 convenient. I think that's really convenient. I, I it's kind of, it's kind of funny in my circles, especially in the Korean friends, to like it's super rare to see a vegan. Um, yeah. I think as a culture that like celebrates Korean barbecue, yeah. it's it, um, it's it's always a point of contention. Yep, um, absolutely, absolutely. I, I and I, you know, my wife she eats meat. Uh, she she'll mm-hmm. have a piece of steak in front of me, and I don't make anyone feel guilty for it mm-hmm. um but the only thing i'm asking people to do is you know try to reduce it as much as you yeah. can right um not saying go tur- cold turkey but mm-hmm. you know maybe you know, once a week twice a week start there start there that is i think that i think that's a really smart approach it's, it seems almost engineered in phases the same way i'm like oh there's 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 the thought process is very clear yeah yeah definitely Definitely. So before going on to our last question, uh, which is like the key learnings, uh, I would love to know what your favorite story during your journey is. Like how does it says, it seems like you want to thrive during when times are tough. Do you have a story about that specifically? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, as corny as it sounds, you know, what doesn't kill you make you stronger. I think that's kind of how true. Um, mm-hmm. And it's an age old wisdom. 
you know, thinking back to me graduating in the recession 2008 uh, and struggling to find a job, but eventually did. Um, and right now, right? And, and even as we're right now going through a pandemic, um, well, a lot of people are, you know, kind of losing jobs. Um, and one of the things that have really helped me along the way is, you know, ensuring that, you know, that I'm always constantly learning new skills, picking up new information, you know, talking to people and asking questions about all kinds of different topics. Mm -hmm. And that has really helped me to be a lot more resilient as a person, right? Both personally in my personal life and as well as my professional life. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the one thing that I, I feel everyone should strive to do, right? Just because I'm an engineer, uh, I'm not, I was not shying away from doing sales. Uh, just because I'm an engineer doesn't mean that I can't do procurement, which is a very mm -hmm. financial and a, it's a very business. Um, mm -hmm. you know. The tux and the suit and you have to go talk with people type of thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm meeting with vendors, talking with vendors a lot, right? And it's a very, it's focused on relationship building and partnership uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, business discussions. Yeah, uh, which I don't think we were ever trained at at Tech to do. I think there's very few communication courses. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I wish we had a lot more, uh, but those extracurricular activities was helpful. Right, like mm. Alpha Phi Omega and things like that. Um, but I, I've done a lot of reading on my own as well. Uh, people skill books, um, you know, business books, business skills, leadership skills. I mean, a lot of those um, I've kind of sharpened and honed by my own uh, by talking to people, getting mentored, uh, reading books by myself. Uh, on, on average, I read one to two books uh, a month. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and I've, you know, in my career, I've probably like read three, four hundred books in business and people skill and leadership skills and, and just general knowledge stuff. Mm. Um, and I think all of that has really helped, you know, in, in my career. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's that's so good to hear. I think yeah, I think you have a lot of learnings to share. So if you're to pick from those top learnings that you do have, what would be your top three that you would like to share with our listeners tonight? Yeah, I think the first one would be really never stop learning, right? And someone shared with me once, um, and there's a reason why they call your graduation ceremony from college or university uh, a commencement ceremony. Because if you take the, the meaning of the word commencement, it really means to begin, to start, right? So which means, you know, that's really the beginning, right, of, of your journey through life. It doesn't mean that you're, that's when you stop learning. It's when you really start. Your real education begins. And so, you know, I would encourage everyone to, you know, pick up a book. Um, you know, I read a lot of nonfiction. Nothing against fiction. But mm -hmm. personally, and it might be just the engineer in me, I like to read something that I can apply right away. Right? If I'm reading only fiction, I'm not saying don't read, read fiction. Go ahead and do it. But... If, I, if all I'm reading is fiction books, there's not a lot of real life application, right? Um, mm -hmm. So go ahead, pick up, you know, I think I highly encourage people to, to sharpen their people skills, communication skills, and there's all kinds of great authors out there from 
John Maxwell to Dale Carnegie to Dr. David Schwartz, um, Magic mm-hmm. of Thinking Big, um, to uh, you know who are some of the other authors that I really like. Yeah, I think those are the top ones that come to mind. Um, there's a really good book that I, I read recently called The Go-Giver uh, by Bob Berg. And it talks about adding value to others as a means of, of achieving success. Okay. So Go-Giver instead of Go-Getter. And it's a very nicely named title. Um, so and that's, I would say, the first you know, lesson that I would share. Second is to be humble, right? To be grounded. And, and I've never had the attitude of, I think a lot of it comes from my dad, honestly, because, you know, he's a, he's a captain of, a, of, a, of an airline, right? He flies oh, wow. the uh, triple or the 787 Dreamliner today. Uh, he was flying a 747 at one point, and, you know, all these different big jets. Um, so he's been flying for a long time now. And, you know, if anyone were to have status, he would he would be, you know, deserving of that, being a captain and all. Um, and everyone in the plane would, you know, be be listening to him. But the one thing that is really, you know, portrayed and taught me is to always be humble. Right? And it doesn't matter how good you are at what you do, or no matter how much you think you know about something, there's always someone out there who knows more. There's always someone out there who could teach you something that you don't know already. And it could be a different industry altogether, a different topic. And by being in a position of humility, right, and not acting like a know-it-all, right, um, it gives you an opportunity. It gives other people an opportunity to teach you a thing or two that you might not know. It doesn't matter who it is. It might even be someone more junior than me. Um, I'm still all ears. I'm still all ears. So, and that's two. And then, you know, I'd say third lesson is to think long-term, to always think long-term, play the long game, and don't make decisions because of, uh, for for short-term, um, short-term gain, right? So if you're, you know, having to do something, uh, at a job per se, or in a course uh, that you're not exactly enjoying right now, you know, think of the bigger picture. Is there a, a benefit in the long run from doing what you're doing? Kind of like that Karate Kid uh, movie, right? Where uh, Mr. Miyagi was teaching him to wax on and wax off. <laughs> and he's like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Totally. I'm just washing your car. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, think long term and ask questions, right? As to why am I doing what I'm doing? And um, if there's something here that I, I, I could learn, that I could apply in the future, um, something to think about. That is so awesome. That I think those three are, I think, very relevant to especially people that are graduating in the second recession, the span of like ten years. (laughs) Uh, I think they will do need to listen to this. Well, thank you so much uh, for participating on the podcast. I I heard and listened to very much 
a lot of wisdom in a short period of time. Absolutely, Richard. And uh, yeah, happy to be a resource if anyone wants to reach out and learn about solar or just corporate life in general. More than happy to, to share. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of the Ranger Outpost. We'd love to hear from you, so send us some comments and feedback to at Ranger Outpost on Instagram as we set up our official website and email address. 